The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Over the last few months, we've been exploring how innovation in medicine happens and how an idea becomes an available tool or or treatment in cancer. It's really been fascinating to learn about both the conventional and unexpected ways that innovation comes about. Uh, In this third installment of our series, Innovation Happens, we are definitely looking at an unexpected route to innovation by talking to teen inventor Jack Andreka. Jack was just 15 years old when he invented an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers. His groundbreaking work has earned him international recognition, most notably the 2012 Intel ISEF Gordon Moore Award and the 2012 Smithsonian American Ingenuity Youth Award. Jack was First Lady Michelle Obama's personal guest at the 2013 State of the Union. Jack is now a 17-year-old high school senior and hasn't slowed down a bit. He's a 2014 National Geographic Emerging Explorer, a program that honors tomorrow's visionaries. He's a winner of the 2014 Jefferson Award, the nation's most prestigious public service award, first place winner in the 2014 Siemens We Can Change the World Challenge, and the 2014 State of Maryland winner of the Stockholm Water Prize. Jack also appears on Advocate Magazine's 2014 40 Under 40. Jack speaks to audiences of young people and adults across the globe about his personal story, his research, and his ideas for STEM education. Uh, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. He's been featured in several documentaries as well as ABC World News, CNN, BBC, radio, newspaper, magazine articles around the world. And his memoir, Breakthrough, How One Teen Innovator is Changing the World, was just released in March. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. So, Jack, let's, let's back up a little bit. What originally set you on the path to develop a test uh, to detect cancer early? Well, I got really interested in pancreatic cancer because a close family friend, who was like an uncle to me, actually passed away from the disease when I was 13. And as I did more research, I found that there really was no way of detecting these cancers. The current test is a 60-year-old test that costs $800 and misses 30% of all cancers. So... Armed with eighth grade biology, I set out to try and find new ways to attack these cancers because I thought the current test is so bad that anything I do will probably be better. And so 
the system you developed, and we're going to get into the sort of the background, the research, the science, because I know it was a long road. But your system works for detecting pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers. Was that the intention, or was that an unexpected result as your research unfolded? So initially, I was just looking to detect pancreatic cancer, but what happened upon was this protein. It's called mesothelium. And it's mm-hmm. just your ordinary round-the-mill type protein, unless you have these different cancers like pancreatic, ovarian, and lung. And it's found in the earliest stages of the disease when someone has close to 100% chance of survival. So I found this protein, and so that was the protein I was trying to attack with my sensor. And that just kind of led to me creating a sensor for all three cancers. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we know that, that the test is quite... Um Affordable was that part of your original plan or goal, Jack? Was that the test would be um, affordable? Was that a factor in your research plans? The affordability of it? Definitely, because the current test is just so grossly expensive, and I really wanted to make a test that would be able to be like used at your everyday doctor's appointments, such that people could get screened for this, just like a mammogram or a prostate exam. And so, that with that ideology, I just kind of was looking for a cheap way to attack these cancers. Yeah, and that's it's a terrific part of it, knowing that there's so many high costs in healthcare and, and, and that some of these healthcare costs can be such a huge burden, you know, to families, which we certainly know um, is an issue. Um, but Jack, having decided to find a more accurate way of detecting cancer, um, what was your what was your plan of action? Like, sort of take us back to kind of day one when you came up with this idea. What was your plan of action? And frankly, you know, how did you fit this into your into your school schedule and your life schedule? So um, I came up with this idea actually in my eighth grade biology class. And what happened is I'd been doing all this research on pancreatic cancer, and over that summer, I essentially went through a database of over eight thousand proteins, researching each and every one, and I finally found this one methylene. And I thought, well, how am I going to detect this thing? Because detecting these proteins, it might sound simple, but it's anything but because you have leaders and leaders of blood that's already abundant in thousands of different proteins. And you're looking for this tiny difference in this tiny amount of protein. So I just kind of sifted through all these proteins, eventually found one on the 4,000th try, and then went through and just, like, had this idea in my AP bio, or not my AP biology class, my uh, high school biology class while I was reading an article, um, the scientific article, and then I emailed 200 professors at Johns Hopkins and the National Institute of Health with this idea, hoping to get into a lab. And so how did this work out with your with your school schedule? When did you do this early work? Where did you do this early work? And how, and how did you fit that in? So I actually... Um, I tested it briefly on environmental contaminants when I, like, before I got into the lab just as a proof of concept. And I actually did that in my downstairs lab. I have this, like, kind of mad scientist lab that me and my brother run in our basement. And uh, typically, like, we cook all sorts of stuff up down there. But then um, what really happened after that is I realized I was going to need a lab. I couldn't afford cancer cells, so I just sent out all these emails and... Balancing schoolwork was definitely very difficult just because I had this, like, newfound obsession with pancreatic cancer. But at the same time, I just entered high school. And so, like, eventually, once I got into a lab, I had to kind of balance high school and my lab life. So I'd be doing, like, homework in between lab tests. And 
I'd stay out in the lab at like 2.30 in the morning and have to get up at 5.30 to go into school. So it mm. definitely was crazy, but somehow got through it. Yeah, so obviously your family knew what you were doing and working on. How did they, you know, how did they react? And, you know, did you tell other people what, what you were doing? And, you know, what was sort of the, the reaction to what you were working on? Initially, my parents were very skeptical. They thought I was crazy. I mean, here I was, this 14-year-old who was like, oh, I'm going to invent a new way to detect pancreatic cancer. First off, there's like child labor laws against that because <laughs> I was under 16. And then also, I was just like 14 at the time. So then they really didn't tell my um, my like classmates or anything just because, I mean, whenever I talked about lab stuff, they'd look at me like I had three heads. So it definitely <laughs> was an odd thing, balancing school and uh, cancer research, but it was so much fun and uh, made for a lot of great stories. I bet. I bet. Do you, um, uh, were you always interested in science? Was this something that, that sort of caught your attention always from a young age? I've always been into science ever since I was about three years old. I did like these backyard experiments, which I mentioned all these different backyard experiments in my book. And those are what really captured my interest in science. And then from there, what happened is when I was 13, a close family friend uh, passed the cancer and said, I was like, all right, I'm going to go into cancer research now. So at what point, Jack, did you realize that you sort of, you had just sort of had this discovery? I mean, what was that moment like? So had, it was actually like midnight in the lab. So there's no one else in the lab. And the past like two months, it hadn't been working. So finally it worked out. And... Then I just go, I'm looking at these numbers. I'm like, holy crap, this thing's actually working. And then I just kind of run around screaming in my lab. And I like call my mom and we're all excited and we're jumping up and down. Like, it was just such an amazing moment because I was so happy that finally it was working. And then, and then, did you, and then how did you start to sort of tell people what was going on or, 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 or what you had discovered? So the next day I told my mentor, Dr. Maitra, and he was looking over the data, and he was amazed. And so then I moved on to um, six patient samples, and I was working there. And then I started presenting out all these science fairs, and I actually uh, won, like, the Intel International Science Fair, and that was crazy, and I've done so well all these different fairs, and then I started giving TED Talks and all that. So it's been a crazy ride. I bet it has, and I think it's still... Uh still going, it sounds like to me. Um, how did President and Mrs. Obama find out about your work and come to invite you to the State of the Union? So I'm not really sure how they found out, but they called me, well, the White House called me 24 hours before it was time to go in uh, for the State of the Union. They're just like, there's an event in Washington if you want to go. So I just was like, sure, that sounds amazing. So I went down, I filled out the security information form, and next thing I knew, I was down at the White House, and then in Congress, um, in the First Lady's box, listening to uh, the State of the Union, and next thing it was, like, Valerie Jarrett on the other side was the CEO of, like, Apple, and I'm just like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, did you get a chance to spend some time with the President and the First Lady, and what did you talk about? Uh, yeah, I actually got to spend a lot of time with the, both the president and the first lady, and I talked all about my research. And they're really well informed on like the intricacies of pancreatic cancer. Like 
they could they knew all the statistics and all the policy around it. So it was definitely a really amazing, was an eye opening experience. So how do you think they know so much about that? Do you think they got briefed on your work? I think they. Do you think- I would assume they got briefed on my work. I mean, they they knew a lot of specifics about your research in particular. About my research, but also the field of pancreatic cancer that you wouldn't really expect, uh, like, your everyday person to know. Right, right. So they knew yeah. all about, like, the current methods and, like, just all the policy behind that and the clinical trial. So they knew everything. Everything. And they had, they had been briefed as well on your work and your research. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, I know that they have a certainly a commitment to, you know, their families have been touched by cancer. They have a commitment to cancer research and cancer innovation. Do you think that was also part of their particular interest in the work? Yeah, definitely. And that's why I'm so happy is that this administration has been really uh, science-friendly, especially to uh, cancer research and has done a lot for also in, like, neurology and uh, for neurological sciences and computer programming. So this is a definitely very science-friendly administration, and that plays a huge role in um, getting this research done. Yeah, it's, it's always uh, always great to hear that uh, our leadership has an interest in moving the science and innovation forward, that's for sure. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're talking today with Jack Andreka. Jack was just uh, 15 years old when he invented an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and uh, lung cancers, and his... Uh, Groundbreaking work has earned him many awards, national recognition. He was just telling us about uh, having the opportunity to attend uh, the 2013 State of the Union address as uh, Mrs. Obama's personal guest and spend some time with the president um, to talk about his research and uh, uh, the general commitment uh, that we have as a nation to science and innovation. We're going to take a quick break here. We have a lot more um, that we want to cover with Jack in the conversation. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope. 
and help support from cancer survivors links to research and clinical trials help with finances and access to care all behind you at breakaway from cancer created by amgen to empower cancer patients the cancer support community is proud to be a partner of breakaway from cancer your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Onyx Pharmaceuticals and Amgen's Amgen subsidiary and Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking with Jack Andraka. He's the teenage... Uh, inventor of an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers. His groundbreaking results have earned him international recognition, including the 2012 Intel ISEF Gordon Moore Award and the 2012 Smithsonian American Ingenuity Youth Award. Jack speaks to audiences of young people and adults all across the globe about his personal story, his research, and his ideas for STEM Education Reform, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. He is also the author of the new book, Breakthrough, How One Teen Innovator is Changing the World, which was just released in March. Uh, So, Jack, I'm getting the sense that you're a fairly busy young man, and writing a book is certainly um, a major undertaking. Um, I've been calling your book a memoir, but I think it's really more than that. In fact, there's a a warning at the beginning that says this book contains a number of experiments that may be dangerous if not done exactly as directed. Um, is, this a, is this a science tech, textbook disguised as a memoir? Uh, is it a memoir disguised as a science textbook? Tell us about the, uh, the book, Jack, and what folks can find in the book. Uh, yeah, so the book is all about how I overcame adversity because um, I was bullied a lot in like seventh grade and eighth grade. Also, it talks about how I came up with this test in more detail and it talks about what I'm working on now and also a few fun science experiments that you can do at your house. So it's super fun. It was amazing to write. I had a great time and it just is really all about inspiring others to really see that anything is possible, regardless of your passion, whether in music, math, uh, science, it doesn't matter. With the internet and all the resources we have today, anything is possible. And if I was a 13-year-old who didn't quite know what pancreas was, and I could find a new way to attack pancreatic cancer, just imagine what you could do. And so, Jack, are young adults the intended audience for this book? Yeah, so... um, Definitely one of the intended audiences is young adults, but also I really think that it's pretty much for anyone. Anyone can read this and hopefully be inspired to just follow their passions and change the world. And so with the uh, young adult audience, it really is about showing kids that science is more than just a cold, hard fact. It's about using your curiosity and creativity to change the world. And then also it's all about showing that just go with your passion. Don't let anyone how you know, because you nowadays can do whatever you want and, like, change the world with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jack, for those of us who first saw you in the news when you won the Intel Award, jumping up and down, absolutely overcome by joy, or on the 60 Minutes interview answering questions in such a poised and relaxed way, it's, it, it's, it's hard to believe that you suffered 
years of bullying. Yet this is certainly one of the themes that's in the in the book. You were you were first bullied for your interest in math and science, and later for coming out as gay. Can you tell us about your experience and the kind of impact this has had on you? Yeah, so it was always the math and science kid back in middle school. So I always won the science there. And because of that, I got bullied a lot. And then when I was coming out as gay, it only intensified. And this resulted in me becoming increasingly depressed. I would have to eat my lunch alone in the bathroom. I didn't really have that many friends. I would, like, resort to self-harm, and I had suicidal thoughts. And it was a really dark time in my life because at the same time, I was coming to terms with my sexuality. And I, like... I knew that there were some people who didn't like people being gay, but at the same time, I thought we had progressed. And then to have such, like, a reaction against it, it was just really harsh, hard on me because I had opened myself up and, like, told people who I was, and they were just, like, not accepting that. And because I tried to, like, hide who I was, and it just didn't work out, and it was just such a dark time, but luckily... I reached out to my family and friends, and they supported me through this, and I just really threw myself into my science. And sometimes life can be cruddy, but what I found is, like, your moment isn't, your life isn't defined by a single cruddy moment. It, you shouldn't let a few jerks tell you not to follow your passion. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, you know, and Jack, I mean, obviously your story is an amazing story, and your, your work and your research, I mean, you could have written a very inspirational book, that, you know, maybe glossed over or sidestepped some of this, you know, painful experience that you had. But why, why was it so important to you to include that part of your life and that part of your experience in the book? Including this part of my life in the book was absolutely, it was so important to me. It had to be in there just because I want people to know that it does get better. And even though you might be having a difficult day today, like, you can keep going and things will get better no matter what. And people will come around and realize that they were being jerks. And so never let people, like, don't don't listen to jerks who tell you, like, not to do something. Like, they're, like, they're not worth your time. And so that was so worth it to me just because I want kids to know that they can go out there and do whatever they want regardless of what the people in their class say. And I didn't want anyone to have to go through that exact, like, that pain that I had to go through. And also, one thing that I've been realizing, I just got off my book tour, is that when you talk to kids, they were really able to connect with that story. Like, for example, a kid who was going to commit suicide, he heard my talk, and he was like, he tweeted me, and was like, well, I talked to my principal, and now, like, I'm, like, inspired to live on, and... Then also, like, another kid came out to his family and friends because of my story. And that, to me, makes everything that I do worth it, uh, being able to make someone's life a little bit better. Mm. It's really, really inspirational, Jack. Um, I just want to read a quick little excerpt from, from the book about, about this bullying theme. Um, you say, quote, uh, as eighth grade continued... The taunting got worse for me. Every moment I spent in school, I felt as though I were under a microscope. I could never relax, and every time I spoke, it felt as though someone was waiting there to pounce with an insult. Loser. Freak. Jack, you're never going to amount to anything. Anything. 
Jack, when you when you hear those words, when you think about that experience, do you still feel like you have some some scars from that time? I definitely feel like I do have some deep psychological scars from that bullying, and those will probably live with me for the rest of my life. But I mean, those are part of my story, and what like what doesn't kill you makes me stronger, and. Yeah it really helped me develop into the person I am today. It made me more resilient, and so I could take all those rejections from those professors. And it really was able to, like, make me uh, just a stronger human being. And even though it was a tough time, I think in the end, like, it all worked out okay. And, and, and I mean, do you find it hard to believe? Like, do you wake up some days and just kind of pinch yourself about the amount of recognition and respect um, you and your work have received, especially, um, you know, coming out of that bullying and that difficult situation. I mean, you know, what, what has it felt like to have it be part of global events such as TED and the Clinton Global Initiative and Future Med for these folks to ask you to come out to speak, to become such a, 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 you know, a prominent figure? I mean, does it help to put some of those experiences a little bit further into the rearview mirror? I mean, it's definitely just insane to me. Like, I could never imagine this. I'm just like, regular high school kid. I still think of myself like that. And my friends definitely give me like that. And so at times it's just really almost surreal to have all these experiences and then have to go back to school and do AP biology work. (laughs) So, um, but I mean, it's so great for me to be able to have all these experiences as a like young person and be able to kind of have this like new mindset about the world and how I fit into it. And these events like, they definitely do help to, like, kind of resolve a lot of that pain that I went through. But at the same time, one of the things that I'm so happy about is being able to share my message and tell others that it gets better and to be able to have such a global stage to be able to tell people that it gets better. So, Jack, was writing the book, you know, was it a difficult and painful experience or did you find it more of a sort of a cathartic and sort of empowering experience? At times, it definitely was really difficult, especially in the bullying part, because it was like I was almost reliving that. But yeah, at other yeah. times, it was really cathartic. Like, for example, was when I was writing about my, like, globe trotting and stuff, that was definitely really fun to write about and really fun to reflect on because of all those good memories I had. So it was a really great time to reflect on my life and just be like, wow, everything's, like, getting a lot better for me, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Jack, do you um, do you still see the kids who bullied you? I mean, how, do you see them? Do you interact with them? Oh no, I don't have time for those losers. Like, I don't really care about them, and they're not worth my time. If you were jerks to me back then, like, why would you want to be my friend now? Yeah, yeah, Jack. We're going to the break here, but uh, just a, a, a you know quick question: um, What do you hope will be the impact of your book? I hope the impact of my book is, even if it just makes one kid not have to go through that pain or not take their life, that's my mission, is just to make others realize that there's so much to live for and that you could be the difference in the world. And as you were out on your tour, Jack, you talked about, you know, interacting with kids who had read the book and who really walked away with that story of hope. Are you still hearing from folks who are reading the book, who are sharing back with you what the impact has been on them? Yeah, definitely. Every day I get like 
at least 10 new stories about how it's helped help like people get over their depression or come out. And that's what makes everything worth it. And that what makes all those hard uh, hours in the lab or writing this book so worth it is being able to have that human connection and help improve someone's life. And, and has it, do you think it's motivated these kids to sort of think about, you know, what, what is my talent? What is my contribution? What is it that I can bring to the world despite maybe how I'm feeling today? I really hope so because that was the goal to show kids that they are capable of amazing things. And so I've been able to hear about other kids' science or projects, about like their different accomplishments. And it's just so amazing to realize how many amazing kids are out there. Yeah, it's it's so true, and it's, it's just um, amidst everything else going on, for you to really take the time to put your story out there in such an honest and, and, and raw way, and uh, the fact that other kids and teens are really, you know, connecting to that, and that's helping to maybe lift them out of a difficult situation is really, uh, you know, terrific extension, I think, Jack, of your um, amazing work. Um, we've got to take a quick commercial break here. Um, This is part of our series in innovation uh, in cancer. We're having a great conversation with Jack Andreka. He is an author and teen inventor. Jack was just 15 when he invented an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers really born out of uh, of the loss of of a family friend to pancreatic cancer. He's won a number of awards and international recognitions, um, most notably the 2012 Intel ISEF Gordon Moore Award. Um, we've got a lot more to cover on the show today uh, with Jack Andreka. So uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. 
Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Onyx pharmaceuticals and Amgen's, Amgen subsidiary and Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking with Jack Andreka. He's the teenage uh, inventor of an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers. His groundbreaking results have earned him international recognition, including the 2012 Intel ISEF Gordon Moore Award and the 2012 Smithsonian American Ingenuity Youth Award. Jack speaks to audiences of young people and adults all across the globe about his personal story, his research, and his ideas for STEM education reform, which stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. He is also the author of the new book, Breakthrough, How One Teen Innovator is Changing the World, which was just released in March. Uh, So, Jack, I'm getting the sense that you're a fairly busy young man, and writing a book is certainly um, a major undertaking. Um, I've been calling your book a memoir, but I think it's really more than that. In fact, there's a a warning at the beginning that says this book contains a number of experiments that may be dangerous if not done exactly as directed. Um, is, this a, is this a science tech textbook disguised as a memoir? Uh, is it a memoir disguised as a science textbook? Tell us about the, uh, the book, Jack, and what folks can find in the book. Uh, yeah, so the book is all about how I overcame adversity because um, I was bullied a lot in like seventh grade and eighth grade. Also, it talks about how I came up with this test in more detail, and it talks about what I'm working on now, and also a few fun science experiments that you can do at your house. So it's super fun. It was amazing to write. I had a great time, and it just is really all about inspiring others to really see that anything is possible, regardless of your passion, whether you're in music, math, uh, science, it doesn't matter. With the internet and all the resources we have today, anything is possible. And if I was a 13-year-old who didn't quite know what pancreas was, you could find a new way to attack pancreatic cancer, just imagine what you could do. And so, Jack, are young adults the intended audience for this book? Yeah, so... um, Definitely one of the intended audiences is young adults, but also I really think that it's pretty much for anyone. Anyone can read this and hopefully be inspired to just follow their passions and change the world. And so with the uh, young adult audience, it really is about showing kids that science is more than just the cold, hard facts. It's about using your curiosity and creativity to change the world. And then also it's all about showing that just go with your passion. Don't let anyone how you know, because you nowadays you can do whatever you want and, like, change the world with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jack, for those of us who first saw you in the news when you won the Intel Award, jumping up and down, absolutely overcome by joy, or on the 60 Minutes interview answering questions in such a poised and relaxed way, it's, it, it's, it's hard to believe that you suffered 
years of bullying, yet this is certainly one of the themes that's in the, in the book. You were, you were first bullied for your interest in math and science and later for coming out as gay. Can you tell us about your experience and the kind of impact this has had on you? Yeah, so it was always the math and science kid back in middle school. And so I always won the science fair. And because of that, I got bullied a lot. And then when I was coming out as gay, it only intensified. And this resulted in me becoming increasingly depressed. I would have to eat my lunch alone in the bathroom. I didn't really have that many friends. I would, like, resort to self-harm, and I had suicidal thoughts. And it was a really dark time in my life because at the same time, I was coming to terms with my sexuality. And I, like... I knew that there were some people who didn't like people being gay, but at the same time, I thought we had progressed. And then to have such, like, a reaction against it, it was just really harsh hard on me because I had opened myself up and, like, told people who I was, and they were just, like, not accepting that. And because I tried to, like, hide who I was, and it just didn't work out, and it was just such a dark time, but luckily... I reached out to my family and friends, and they supported me through this, and I just really threw myself into my science. And sometimes life can be cruddy, but what I found is, like, your moment isn't, your life isn't defined by a single cruddy moment. It, you shouldn't let a few jerks tell you not to follow your passion. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah, you know, and Jack, I mean, obviously your story is an amazing story and your your work and your research. I mean, you could have written a very inspirational book that, you know, maybe glossed over or sidestepped some of this, you know, painful experience that you had. But why why was it so important to you to include that part of your life and that part of your experience in the book? Including this part of my life in the book was, Absolutely, it was so important to me. It had to be in there just because I want people to know that it does get better. And even though you might be having a difficult day today, like, you can keep going and things will get better no matter what. And people will come around and realize that they were being jerks. And so never let people, like, don't don't listen to jerks who tell you, like, not to do something. Like, they're... Like, they're not worth your time. And so that was so worth it to me just because I want kids to know that they can go out there and do whatever they want, regardless of what the people in their class say. And I didn't want anyone to have to go through that exact, like, that team that I had to go through. And also one thing that I've been realizing I just got off my book tour is that when you talk to kids, they were really able to connect with that story. Like, for example, a kid who was going to commit suicide, he heard my talk and he was like, he tweeted me and was like, well, I talked to my principal and now like I'm like inspired to live on. And then also like another kid came out to his family and friends because of my story. And that to me makes everything that I do worth it. Uh, being able to make someone's life a little bit better. Mm. It's really, really inspirational, Jack. Um, I just want to read a quick little excerpt from, from the book about, about this bullying theme. Um, you say, quote, uh, as eighth grade continued, the taunting got worse for me. Every moment I spent in school, I felt as though I were under a microscope. I could never relax, and every time I spoke, it felt as though someone was waiting there to pounce with an insult. Loser. Freak. Jack, you're never going to amount to anything. Anything. 
Jack, when you when you hear those words, when you think about that experience, do you still feel like you have some some scars from that time? I definitely feel like I do have some deep psychological scars from that bullying, and those will probably live with me for the rest of my life. But I mean, those are part of my story, and what like what doesn't kill you makes me stronger, and. Yeah it really helped me develop into the person I am today. It made me more resilient, and so I could take all those rejections from those professors. And it really was able to, like, make me uh, just a stronger human being. And even though it was a tough time, I think in the end, like, it all worked out okay. And, and, and I mean, do you find it hard to believe? Like, do you wake up some days and just kind of pinch yourself about the amount of recognition and respect um, you and your work have received, especially, um, you know, coming out of that bullying and that difficult situation. I mean, you know, what, what has it felt like to have it be part of global events such as TED and the Clinton Global Initiative and Future Med for these folks to ask you to come out to speak, to become such a, 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 you know, a prominent figure? I mean, does it help to put some of those experiences a little bit further into the rearview mirror? I mean, it's definitely just insane to me. Like, I could never imagine this. I'm just like, regular high school kid. I still think of myself like that. And my friends definitely view me like that. And so at times it's just really almost surreal to have all these experiences and then have to go back to school and do AP biology work. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it's so great for me to be able to have all these experiences as a like young person and be able to kind of have this like new mindset about the world and how I fit into it. And these events like, they definitely do help to, like, kind of resolve a lot of that pain that I went through. But at the same time, one of the things that I'm so happy about is being able to share my message and tell others that it gets better and to be able to have such a global stage to be able to tell people that it gets better. So, Jack, was writing the book, you know, was it difficult and painful experience or did you find it more of a sort of a cathartic and sort of empowering experience? At times, it definitely was really difficult, especially in the bullying part, because it was like I was almost reliving that. But yeah, at other yeah. times, it was really cathartic. Like, for example, when I was writing about my, like, globe trotting and stuff, that was definitely really fun to write about and really fun to reflect on because of all those good memories I had. So it was a really great time to reflect on my life and just be like, wow, everything's, like, getting a lot better for me, and I can't wait to see what happens next. Jack, do you um, do you still see the kids who bullied you? I mean, how, do you see them? Do you interact with them? Oh no, I don't have time for those losers. Like, I don't really care about them, and they're not worth my time. If you were jerks to me back then, like, why would you want to be my friend now? Yeah, yeah, Jack. We're going to the break here, but uh, just a, a, a you know quick question: um, What do you hope will be the impact of your book? I hope the impact of my book is even if it just makes one kid not have to go through that pain or not take their life, that's my mission is just to make others realize that there's so much to live for and that you could be the difference in the world. And as you were out on your tour, Jack, you talked about, you know, interacting with kids who had read the book and who really walked away with that story of hope. Are you still hearing from folks who are reading the book, who are sharing back with you what the impact has been on them? Yeah, definitely. Every day I get like at least 10 new stories about how it's helped help like 
people get over their depression or come out. And that's what makes everything worth it, not what makes all those hard uh, hours in the lab or writing this book so worth it, is being able to have that human connection and help improve someone's life. And and has it, do you think it's motivated these kids to sort of think about, you know, what what is my talent? What is my contribution? What is it that I can bring to the world, despite maybe how I'm feeling today? I really hope so, because that was the goal, to show kids that they are capable of amazing things. And so I've been able to hear about other kids' science or projects, about, like, their different accomplishments. And it's just so amazing to realize how many amazing kids are out there. Yeah, it's it's so true, and it's, it's just um, amidst everything else going on, for you to really take the time to put your story out there in such an honest and and, and raw way, and uh, the fact that other kids and teens are really you know connecting to that, and that's helping to maybe lift them out of a difficult situation is really a, you know terrific extension, I think, Jack, of your um, amazing work. Um, we've got to take a quick commercial break here. Um, This is part of our series in innovation uh, in cancer. We're having a great conversation with Jack Andreka. He is an author and teen inventor. Jack was just 15 when he invented an inexpensive early detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers really born out of uh, of the loss of of a family friend to pancreatic cancer. He's won a number of awards and international recognitions, um, most notably the 2012 Intel ISEF Gordon Moore Award. Um, we've got a lot more to cover on the show today uh, with Jack Andreka. So uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's episode is being brought to you in part by Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company. I'm Kim Tibaldo. We're talking today with remarkable teenager Jack Andrake. Jack was 15 years old when he invented a low-cost detection test for pancreatic, ovarian, and lung cancers. He's now 17 years old. He is a high school senior, but he is not resting on his laurels. Jack is a 2014 National Geographic Emerging Explorer, a program that honors tomorrow's visionaries. He's a winner of the 2014 Jefferson Award, the nation's most prestigious public service award, first place winner in the 2014 Siemens We Can Change the World Challenge, and 2014 State of Maryland winner of the Stockholm Water Prize. Jack also appears on Advocate Magazine's 2014 40 Under 40 list. Jack, I think they need to make a 20 Under 20 list. That's a, uh, <laughs> just, a, just a suggestion. I don't know. You might be the only one, though, on that list. But um, uh, I'm going to ask you about the different projects that you're working on and the causes you're supporting. Um, but, but I have a, a question for you first. Just want to get your take on this. Do you see a distinction between, between being an inventor and being an innovator? I mean, how do you think about those two words, and do you see yourself as one or the other or a little bit of both? I think I see myself more as an innovator. Inventors, uh, I see them more as maybe non-laboratory like scientists. They typically um, are inventing something for convenience, and uh, for me, an innovator is combining like, disparate ideas from different scientific fields to create things that will help change someone's life and help improve their standard of living and improve the human condition. So that, to me, is what an innovator is. And for me, that's what I am, because what I really love is getting my hands dirty in the lab and being able to combine like nanotechnology and medicine and computer programming and all these different fields into like these unique, off-the-wall, out-of-the-box ideas. So, um, Jack, you've taken on a number of causes. Can you talk to us about your work with the Right to Research Coalition? Yeah, so I'm hugely involved in the Right to Research Coalition, and this centers all around this issue of scientific paywalls. You see, 95 or 90% of all scientific journals are locked tightly behind these paywalls. That means when you want access them, you have to cough up $35. And that exponentially raises the cost of doing research, particularly for young researchers such as myself. And despite the vast majority of this research being funded by taxpayers to pay it, the public has to pay for it. And we see all these big STEM initiatives that say we need more kids in STEM. But when a seminal science article costs $35 and the new Katy Perry single costs 99 cents, that's a bit of a mixed message. And... Then also, this isn't just a problem for 15-year-old high school researchers. This is a problem for everyone because mm-hmm. recently Harvard University released a statement to its faculty and students saying, we simply can't afford these sometimes $40,000 per year subscription. And what does it say about the world of academic publishing, the flow of information, the accessibility of knowledge, when Harvard University, the richest academic institution in the world, can't continue to pay for its subscription? Then by having these paywalls, we create this very rigid knowledge hierarchy almost where we discriminate people's access to knowledge based on how much money they have. 
So at the top, we have the knowledge elite, like these big-name institutions and labs that can afford each and every article. And then lower down, we have the knowledge middle class, people like you or me who can access a few articles here and there and maybe look at the open access ones. But then we have the knowledge underclass, which is 5.5 billion people who lack access to the Internet and mm-hmm. can't access scientific information whatsoever and live in knowledge poverty. And then also, even more disturbingly, is in those top, like, knowledge elite, there's a bit of stratification because at the top we have those knowledge billionaires, like those big-name institutions like Harvard, Yale, MIT, that can afford each and every article. But then lower down, we have the knowledge millionaires, which are like state-run institutions, which don't have large endowments and can't afford every single article. So it's like saying to those top 10 schools that you all can teach calculus while everyone else is relegated to only algebra. And mm-hmm. it's a tribute method for the dissemination of knowledge, and it's not effective at all. And imagine if, in, like, we're living currently in a knowledge aristocracy where only 0.008% of the world's population can access this information, and 85% of the world's population lacks access to information whatsoever. So it's like taking 80 people off the streets of New York City and saying, you all can teach or you all can access scientific information. Everyone else, too bad for you. Mm. So uh, currently I'm working with the Right to Research Coalition to pass legislation yeah. that would make all these articles freely available to the public such that anyone could innovate, mm. regardless of where they're from, age or gender. Wow. Some great messages there, Jack. Some great themes. Um, I appreciate you sharing uh, sharing that. We're Coming to the end of our show, I can't believe how quickly um, our time has gone. Uh, so, Jack, you've got the prom coming up. You've got your uh, graduation from high school, obviously a major transition point for, uh, for, for, for most people. Um, what are your plans next? What are your plans in the fall? Um, beyond that, tell us a little bit about what's next for you, Jack. So I'm actually headed out to Stanford University this fall to study bioengineering. And... Uh, then for right now, I'm continuing on my book tours for Breakthrough, so I'm off to uh, Europe and then also Australia. And then I'm currently focusing on my research, which focuses around using inkjet printers to print diagnostics as well as environmental biosensors that are compatible with your phone, so your phone will diagnose you and detect contaminants in your water or in your air. Also, I'm working on nanorobots, which are super small robots that I program using DNA to track down your cancer, and it will learn how to treat your cancer while in your bloodstream. So it can combine, like, five different drugs at different dosages, two other therapies, while also uh, pretty much repro- it can reprogram your uh, cells to do whatever I want. So it could insert genes that would make your cancer glow so a surgeon could see them or can make it more susceptible to certain disease or certain treatments. So I essentially reprogram life using my nanorobots. So that's what I'm currently doing, but... After college, I hope to go into med school and then become a physician researcher so I can first treat patients but also continue my scientific endeavors. And, Jack, were there, you know, along this journey, um, any unexpected things that you've learned along the way, any, any life lessons that you've, uh, that you've garnered during this, uh, these incredible few years? If you believe in your idea, then just go with that because you're going to be the greatest advocate for any of your ideas. And if you don't believe in it, then who will? And it doesn't matter, like, where you come from, age or gender. It's just your ideas that count because through the Internet, anything is possible. I mean, I was some random 13-year-old who didn't know what a pancreas was. So just to know actually what you could do to change the world. 
And uh, uh, Jack, so your book tour, your book tour is continuing. You said you're going out of the country now. Yeah, off to Europe and then Australia and possibly an Asian tour in the future. Wow, it's fantastic! Congratulations, very very exciting news. Um, it's been uh, just so great, Jack, having you on the show today. I want to thank you for joining us, and I uh, know our listeners uh, have certainly enjoyed hearing about your um, amazing work and your wonderful, um, uh, you know, spirit and all that you've done to turn some difficult. Uh, you know, times in your life into something incredible and wonderful and really to be such an inspiration um, to others. So thank you for being on the show. I hope you'll come back and keep us um, up to date on your work. I hope you'll send us a prom picture so that we can post it on uh, social media and also a graduation picture. We can keep our listeners posted on your amazing uh, progress. And it's just inspiring and reassuring to know that there are young people like uh, like you out there. Jack, I encourage everyone to pick up or download a copy of Jack's book, Breakthrough, How One Teen Innovator is Changing the World. Um, uh, it's been my pleasure having uh, you join us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I want to remind folks that uh, here at the Cancer Support Community, we have a host of services for people with uh, any kind of cancer or any stage of disease, and also for the family members and loved ones of people with cancer. We've got 50 centers around the United States. We've got uh, uh, a a wonderful telephone helpline. In fact, if you're trying to reach us, you can call right now at 888-793-9355. You can visit our website at cancersupportcommunity.org to find out about all of our free services. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support Community.org.